0: and haven't done so already, please write a review on the Apple Podcasts app or at podchaser.com slash snoozecast. That's P-O-D-C-H-A-S-E-R dot com. Your review helps new listeners find us, and we appreciate everyone's feedback. This episode is brought to you by Embroidered Silk. Tonight we'll read the second half to The Adventure of the Western Star, a short story written by Agatha Christie, published in 1912 as part of her Poirot Investigates series. We read the opening half to this story last week. In the first episode, Hercule Poirot receives a visit from Miss Mary Marvel, the famous American film star on her visit to London. She has received three letters handed to her by a Chinese man, which warn her to return her fabulous diamond jewel, the western star, to where it came from, the left eye of an idol, before the next full moon. Her husband, Gregory Rolfe, had bought the jewel in San Francisco three years ago and had given it to her. Poirot asks Mary Marvel to leave the jewel with him, but she declines. She is going to stay at Yardley Chase, the home of Lord and Lady Yardley, next Friday to discuss the making of a film there, and Mary is determined to wear her diamond there. Next Friday happens to be The Next full. be a cheery, loud-voiced sportsman, with a rather red face, but with a good-humored nature about him that was distinctly attractive and made up for any lack of mentality. Extraordinary business, this Monsieur Poirot. Can't make head or tail of it. Seems my wife's been getting odd kind of letters, and that this Miss Marvel's had em too. What does it all mean? Perrault handed him the copy of Society Gossip. First, my lord, I would ask if these facts are substantially correct. The peer took it, his face darkened with anger as he read. Damned nonsense, he spluttered. There's never been any romantic story attaching to the diamond. It came from India originally, I believe. I never heard of all this Chinese god stuff. Still, the stone is known as the Star of the East. Well, what if it is? he demanded, wrathfully. Poirot smiled a little, but made no direct reply. What I would ask you to do, my lord, is to place yourself in my hands. If you do so unreservedly, I have great hopes of averting the catastrophe. Then you think there's actually something in these wild cattails. Will you do as I ask you? Uh, of course I will. But, bien, then permit that I ask you a few questions. This affair of Yardley Chase, is it, as you say, all fixed up between you and Mr. Rolf? Ah, uh, he told you about it, did he? No. There's nothing settled, he hesitated, the brick-red color of his face deepening. (sighs) Might as well get the thing straight. I've made rather an ass of myself in many ways, Monsieur Perrault, and I'm head over ears in debt. but I want to pull up. I'm fond of the kids, and I want to straighten things up and be able to live at the old place. Gregory Rolfe is offering me big money, enough to set me on my feet again. I don't want to do it. I hate the thought of all that crowd play-acting round the chase. But I might have to, unless... He broke off. Perot eyed him keenly. You have, then, another string to your bow? Permit that I make a guess. It is to sell the Star of the East. Lord Yardley nodded. And that's it. It's been in the family for some generations now, but it's not entailed. Still, it's not the easiest thing in the world to find a purchaser. Hofburg, the hat and Garden Man, is on the lookout for a likely customer, but he'll have to find one soon, or it's a washout. Permit me one more question. Uh, which plan does Lady Yardley approve? Oh, she's bitterly opposed to selling the jewel. You know what women are. She's all for this film stunt. I comprehend, said Poirot. He remained a moment or so in thought, then rose briskly to his feet. You return to Yardley Chase at once. Bien, say no word to anyone, to any one mind, but expect us there this evening. We will arrive shortly after five. All right, but I don't see it's not important, said Poirot kindly. You will that I preserve for you your diamond, n'est-ce pas? Yes, but then do as I say. A sadly bewildered nobleman left the room. It was half past five when we arrived at Yardley Chase, and followed the dignified butler to the old paneled hall with its fire of blazing logs. A pretty picture met our eyes. Lady Yardley and her two children. The mother's proud dark head bent down over the two fair ones. Lord Yardley stood near, smiling down on them. Monsieur Poirot and Captain Hastings, announced the butler. Lady Yardley looked up with a start. Her husband came forward uncertainly, his eye seeking instruction from Poirot. The little man was equal to the occasion. All my excuses. It is that I investigate still this affair of Miss Marvel's. She comes to you on Friday. Does she not? I make a little tour first to make sure that all is secure. Also... I wanted to ask of Lady Yardley if she recollected at all the postmarks on the letters she received. Lady Yardley shook her head regretfully. I'm afraid I don't. It is stupid of me, but, you see, I never dreamt of taking them seriously. You'll stay the night? said Lord Yardley. I fear to incommode you. We have left our bags at the inn. That's all right, Lord Yardley had his cue. We'll send down for them. No trouble, I assure you. Poirot permitted himself to be persuaded, and sitting down by Lady Yardley, began to make friends with the children. In a short time, they were all romping together and had dragged me into the game. Poirot stepped back finally with a gallant little bow as the children were removed reluctantly by a stern nurse. Lady Yardley smoothed her ruffled hair. I adore them, she said, with a little catch in her voice. And they, you with reason. Poirot bowed again. A dressing gong sounded, and we rose to go up to our rooms. At that moment, the butler entered with a telegram on a salver which he handed to Lord Yardley. The latter tore it open with a brief word of apology. As he read it, he stiffened visibly. With a shout, he handed it to his wife. Then he glanced at my friend. Just a minute, Monsieur Perrault. I feel you ought to know about this. It's from Hofburg. He thinks he's found a customer for the diamond, an American, sailing for the States tomorrow. They're sending down a chap tonight to vet the stone. By Jove, though, if this goes through... Words failed him. Lady Yardley had turned away. She still held the telegram in her hand. I wish you wouldn't sell it, George, she said in a low voice. It's been in the family so long. She waited, as though for a reply, but when none came, her face hardened. She shrugged her shoulders. I must go and dress. I suppose I had better display the goods. She turned to Poirot with a slight grimace. It's one of the most hideous necklaces that was ever designed. George has always promised to have the stones reset for me but it's never been done. She left the room. Half an hour later, we three were assembled in the great drawing room awaiting the lady. It was already a few minutes past the dinner hour. Suddenly there was a low rustle, and Lady Yardley appeared framed in the doorway, a radiant figure in a long white shimmering dress round the column of her neck was rivulet of fire. She stood there with one hand just touching the necklace. Behold the sacrifice, she said gaily. Her ill humor seemed to have vanished. Wait while I turn the big light on and you shall feast your eyes on the ugliest necklace in England. The switches were just outside the door as she stretched out her hand to them, the incredible thing happened. Suddenly, without any warning, every light was extinguished. The door banged, and from the other side of it came a long-drawn, piercing woman's scream. My God! cried Lord Yardley. That was Maud's voice. What has happened? We rushed blindly for the door, cannoning into each other in the darkness. It was some minutes before we could find it. What a sight met our eyes. Lady Yardley lay senseless on the marble floor, a crimson mark on her white throat where the necklace had been wrenched from her neck. As we bent over her, uncertain for the moment whether she were dead or alive, her eyelids opened. A man, she whispered painfully at the side door. Lord Yardley sprang up with an oath. I accompanied him, my heart beating wildly. The side door in question was a small one in the angle of the wall, not more than a dozen yards from the scene of the tragedy. As we reached it, I gave a cry. There, just short of the threshold, lay the glittering necklace, evidently dropped by the thief in the panic of his flight. I swooped joyously down on it. Then I uttered another cry which Lord Yardley echoed, for in the middle of the necklace was a great gap. The star of the east was missing. That settles it, I breathed. These were no ordinary thieves. This one stone was all they wanted. But how did the fellow get in? Through this door. But it's always locked. I shook my head. It's not locked now. See? I pulled it open as I spoke. As I did so, something fluttered to the ground. I picked it up. It was a piece of silk, and the embroidery was unmistakable. It had been torn from the thief's robe. In his haste, it caught in the door, I explained. Come, hurry. He cannot have gone far as yet. But in vain we hunted and searched. In the pitch darkness of the night, the thief had found it easy to make his getaway. We returned reluctantly, and Lord Yardley sent off one of the footmen post-haste to fetch the police. Lady Yardley, aptly ministered to by Perot, is as good as a woman in these matters was sufficiently recovered to be able to tell her story. I was just going to turn on the other light, she said, when a man sprang on me from behind. He tore my necklace from my neck with such force that I fell headlong to the floor. As I fell, I saw him disappearing through the side door. Then I realized by the pigtail and the embroidered robe that he must be the Chinese man. She stopped with a shudder. The butler reappeared. He spoke in a low voice to Lord Yardley. A gentleman from Mr. Hofburg's, Lord. He says you expect him? Good heavens, cried the distracted nobleman. I must see him. Uh, No, not here, Mullings. In the library. I drew Breaux aside. Look here, my dear fellow. Hadn't we better get back to London? You think so, Hastings? Why? Well? I coughed delicately. Things haven't gone very well, have they? I mean... You tell Lord Yardley to place himself in your hands and all will be well, and then the diamond vanishes from under your very nose. We," oui? said Perrault, rather crestfallen. It was not one of my most striking triumphs. This way of describing events almost caused me to smile, but I stuck to my guns. So, having, pardon the expression rather made a mess of things, don't you think it would be more graceful to leave immediately? And the dinner, the without doubt excellent dinner that the chef of Lord Yardley has prepared? What's dinner? I said impatiently. Perrault held up his hands in horror. Mon dieu. It is that in this country you treat the affairs gastronomic with criminal indifference. There's another reason why we should get back to London as soon as possible, I continued. What is that, my friend? The other diamond, I said, lowering my voice. Miss Marvel's. Eh bien, what of it? Don't you see? His unusual obtuseness annoyed me. What had happened to his usually keen wits. They've got one, now they'll go for the other. Perrault stepped back a pace and regarding me with admiration. But your brain marches to a marvel, my friend. Figure to yourself that for the moment I had not thought of that. But there is plenty of time the full of the moon, it is not until Friday. I shook my head dubiously. The full of the moon theory left me entirely cold. I had my way with Perrault, however, and we departed immediately, leaving behind us a note of explanation and apology for Lord Yardley. My idea was to go at once to the Magnificent, and relate to Miss Marvel what had occurred. But Perrault vetoed the plan, and insisted that the morning would be time enough. I gave in rather grudgingly. In the morning, Perrault seemed strangely disinclined to stir out. I began to suspect that, having made a mistake to start with, he was singularly loath to proceed with the case, In answer to my persuasions, he pointed out, with admirable common sense, that as the details of the affair at Yardley Chase were already in the morning papers, the Rolfs would know quite as much as we could tell them. I gave way unwillingly. Events proved my forebodings to be justified. About two o'clock, the telephone rang. Perot answered it. He listened for some moments then he rang off and turned to me What do you think money me he looked half ashamed half excited the diamond of miss marvel it has been stolen What I cried springing up and what about the full of the moon now Perrault hung his head when did this happen This morning I understand. I shook my head sadly. If only you had listened to me. You see I was right. It appears so, mon ami, said Perrault cautiously. Appearances are deceptive, they say, but it certainly appears so. As we hurried in a taxi to the Magnificent, I puzzled out the true inwardness of the scheme. That full-of-the-moon idea was clever. The whole point of it was to get us to concentrate on the Friday and so be off our guard beforehand. It is a pity you did not realize that. Perot's nonchalance quite restored after its brief eclipse. One cannot think of everything. I felt sorry for him he did so hate failure of any kind. Cheer up, I said consolingly. Better luck next time. At the Magnificent, we were ushered at once into the manager's office. Gregory Rolfe was there with two men from Scotland Yard. A pale-faced clerk sat opposite them. Rolf nodded to us as we entered. We're getting to the bottom of it, he said, but it's almost unbelievable how the guy had the nerve I can't think. A very few minutes sufficed to give us the facts. Mr. Rolfe had gone out of the hotel at 11.15. At 11.30, a gentleman, so like him in appearance as to pass muster, entered the hotel and demanded the jewel case from the safe deposit. He duly signed the receipt remarking carelessly as he did so. Looks a bit different from my ordinary one, but I hurt my hand getting out of the taxi. The clerk merely smiled and remarked that he saw very little difference. Rolf laughed and said, well, don't run me in as a crook this time anyway. I've been getting threatening letters from someone. The Scotland Yard man grunted, Bold customer, he must have watched you out of the hotel, sir, and nipped in as soon as you were well away. What about the jewel case? I asked. It was found in a corridor of the hotel. Only one thing has been taken, the western star. We stared at each other. The whole thing was so bizarre, so unreal. Poirot hopped briskly to his feet. I have not been of much use, I fear, he said regretfully. Is it permitted to see madame? I guess she's prostrated with the shock, explained Rolf. Then perhaps I might have a few words alone with you, monsieur. Certainly. In about five minutes... Perrault reappeared. Now, my friend, he said gaily, to a post office, I have to send a telegram. Who to? Lord Yardley. He discounted further inquiries by slipping his arm through mine. Come, come, mon ami, I know all that you feel about this miserable business. I have not distinguished myself, you in my place, might have distinguished yourself, bien, all is admitted, let us forget it and have lunch. It was about four o'clock when we entered Poirot's rooms, a figure rose from a chair by the window, it was Lord Yardley, he looked haggard and distraught, I got your wire and came up at once, look here, I've been round to Hofburg and they know nothing about that man of theirs last night, or the wire, either. Do you think that... Perrault held up his hand. My excuses. I sent that wire and hired that gentleman in question. You? But why? What? The nobleman spluttered impotently. My little idea was to bring things to a head, explained Perrault placidly. Bring things to a head. Oh my God, cried Lord Yardley. And the ruse succeeded, said Perrault, cheerfully. Therefore, my lord, I have much pleasure in returning you this. With a dramatic gesture, he produced a glittering object. It was a great diamond. The Star of the East, gasped Lord Yardley. But I don't understand. No? said Perrault. It makes no matter. Believe me, it was necessary for the diamond to be stolen. I promised you that it should be preserved to you, and I have kept my word. You must permit me to keep my little secret. Convey, I beg of you, the assurances of my deepest respect to Lady Yardley and tell her how pleased I am to be able to restore her jewel to her. Good day, my lord. And smiling and talking, the amazing little man conducted the bewildered nobleman to the door. He returned gently rubbing his hands. Perot, I said, am I quite demented? No, mon ami. But you are, as always, in a mental fog. How did you get the diamond? From Mr. Rolf. Rolf? May oui. The warning letters, the Chinese man, the article and society gossip, all sprang from the ingenious brain of Mr. Rolf. The two diamonds... Supposed to be so miraculously alike, bah, they did not exist. There was only one diamond, my friend, originally in the Yardley collection. For three years it has been in the possession of Mr. Rolfe. He stole it this morning with the assistance of a touch of grease paint on his face. Ha, I must see him on the film. He is indeed an artist, but why should he steal his own diamond? I asked, puzzled. For many reasons. To begin with, Lady Yardley was getting restive. Lady Yardley? You comprehend as she was left much alone in California. Her husband was amusing himself elsewhere. Mr. Rolfe was handsome. He had an air about him of romance. But often, He is very businesslike, say, monsieur. He made love to Lady Yardley, and in he blackmailed her. I taxed the lady with the truth the other night, and she admitted it. She swore that she had only been indiscreet, and I believed her. But, undoubtedly, Rolf had letters of hers that could be twisted to bear a different interpretation. She had no money of her own, and she was forced to permit him to substitute a paste replica for the real stone. The coincidence of the date of the appearance of the western star struck me at once. All goes well. Lord Yardley prepares to range himself, to settle down, and in comes the menace of the possible sale of the diamond. The substitution will be discovered. Without doubt, she writes off frantically to Gregory Rolfe, who has just arrived in England. He sues her by promising to arrange all, and prepares for a double robbery. In this way he will quiet the lady, who might conceivably tell her, All to her husband. An affair which would not suit our blackmailer at all. He will have fifty thousand pounds insurance money. Ah, you had forgotten that. And he will still have the diamond. At this point, I put my finger in the pie. The arrival of a diamond expert is announced. Lady Yardley, as I felt sure she would immediately arranges a robbery, and does it very well, too. But Hercule Poirot, he sees nothing but facts. What happens in actuality? The lady switches off the light, bangs the door, throws the necklace down the passage, and screams. She has already wrenched out the diamond with pliers upstairs. But we saw the necklace round her neck, I objected. I demand pardon, my friend. Her hand concealed the part of it where the gap would have shown. To place a piece of silk in the door beforehand is child's play. Of course, as soon as Rolf read of the robbery, he arranged his own little comedy, and very well he played it. What did you say to him? I asked with lively curiosity. I said to him that Lady Yardley had told her husband all, that I was empowered to recover the jewel, and that if it were not immediately handed over, proceedings would be taken. Also a few more little lies which occurred to me. He was as wax in my hands. I pondered the matter, Seems a little unfair on Mary Marvel. She has lost her diamond through no fault of her own. Bah, said Perrault brutally. She has a magnificent advertisement. That is all she cares for. That one. Now the other. She is different. A good woman and mother. Yes, I said doubtfully partly sharing Perrault's views on femininity. I suppose it was Rolfe who sent her the duplicate letters. Perrault replied briskly. She came by the advice of Mary Cavendish to seek my aid in her dilemma. Then she heard that Mary Marvel, whom she knew to be her enemy, had been here, and she changed her mind. Jumping at a pretext that you, my friend, offered her. A very few questions sufficed to show me that you told her of the letters, not she, you. She jumped at the chance your words offered. I don't believe it, I cried, stung. See, sí, see, sí, mon ami, it is a pity that you study not the psychology. She told you that the letters were destroyed? Oh la la, never does a woman destroy a letter if she can avoid it. Not even if it would be more prudent to do so. It's all very well, I said, my anger rising. But you've made a perfect fool of me from beginning to end. No. No. It's all very well to try and explain it away afterwards. There really is a limit. But you were so enjoying yourself, my friend. I had not the heart to shatter your illusions.